Hello and welcome back to the TTP, to Tani Talks Parsha of this year, where we talk about the Parsha of the week with some practical lessons to keep. We are in Parsha's Truma, in Sefer Shemos. Reminder, you can help us grow the shows and grow the vision, grow the dream, the chesedfun.com, 1S slash Tani Chesedfun, 2S slash the Tani Talks podcast. Also a reminder, we are hosted by jewishpodcast.fm, the premier Jewish website for Jewish podcasting. You want to have a podcast? No problem. Join us. It's so easy. You could start today. You could even email me, maximumteenyahoo.com. Also... Reminder, we now have a channel on the wonderful Naki Radio, the Jewish Internet Kosher Radio. You can get yours today at nakiradio.com and set up all your settings to do so as well. So as we come to Truma, and we come to the to the middle of, of Sefer Shemos, towards the end of Shemos, we come to parshas that might be seemingly a little bit difficult, seemingly a little bit technical. We go from Barajas to Vayichi, we got story after story, we got biblical figure after biblical figure, we even come to Shemos. And we come to Vairabo, we got Moshe and Aaron, we got all the plagues, major things happening in Mitzrayim, and then we have Bashal where we're leaving Mitzrayim, we have Yisrael, we get the commandments, and then we come to Mishpatim, where we talk about the laws, and then we come to Trumat Saba, we start getting into very technical, very difficult aspects of specifications of the Mishkan, and Kalim and the Mishkan. The question becomes, at least for me growing up, excuse me, even nowadays, how do we relate to such things? It seems very technical, it seems very esoteric, it seems hard to relate to. You know, people talk about carbonos also in general. Very difficult for people to relate to the idea of sacrifices, animal sacrifices, offering the love to Hashem. But we know that nowadays, tefillah, praying, takes the stand of that, and offering up a gift to Hashem. But Shuma, we think about the Mishkan, we think about the aspects, how can we relate to it, how could we connect to it, and how could we try to envelop it into our own lives. So the very, very famous Pasuk that comes up in, in this Parsha is one that, that we know very well. Many commentators, much greater commentators, much greater people than all of us combined, especially greater than we talk about, how you can make a sanctuary for yourself. And we talk about the verbology, that word that I made up, talk about how it says Vasuli Mikdash in the singular, make a temple, make a sanctuary. Vishakhati Bisokham, the Pasik switches to the plural. Why? Because the, the great commentators say the great explain, explanations of people explain that each person has to make a sanctuary within their heart. Each person has to make a sanctuary within their lives, within their soul, within their home. If you open up your heart like the size of a needle, Hashem says, then He will open it for you like the gates of Shemaim, like huge, huge, huge elements. All you have to do is open up a little bit, be a little open to having Hashem enter your heart, enter your soul, enter your body, even the size of a, of a needle, even the size of a hole of a needle, a little sewing needle. You let Hashem in a little bit, He will rip it open, and He could dwell amongst you, the plural you. And that's one element to think about. When we think about Truma, think about temple, we think about the sanctuary or the tabernacle, really, in the midbar, we each can make our own tabernacles within ourselves, the tabernacle of ourselves. How can we allow Hashem in? How can we let Him in? Do we let Hashem's presence be fully relevant and fully present in our lives, or do we just wait for it to happen when we're in shul or in the basement or in our shir? But is it that everywhere we go, we carry the sanctuary of Hashem with us? There are 613 commandments. There are four books of Shulchan Aruch to teach us that it's not just when you go to shul you keep one or two mitzvahs, God forbid. You have 613 that follow you wherever you go. The whole point of learning a lot of the mitzvahs is that you can put them into practice. Perkevos teaches, Harotzelomot, 
and I'm paraphrasing it, these are not the exact words, but if you want to learn, you want to study, you want to practice, you go about doing those things, Hashem will give you the ability to study, to practice, to learn. But if someone just wants to learn to learn, he's not going to be given the ability to learn, to practice, and to preach, and to do it in his own life, because we're not meant to just stay in the study halls. We're not meant to be hermits. We're not meant to be just in the home without interacting with others and dealing with others. You want to be a sanctuary, you have to let Hashem in, carry the mitzvahs with you, carry the halachas with you, be a walking Kiddush Hashem, a walking model of a Torah, walking Torah in your own lives. And that could be how the sanctuary could be in your own life. You can be a walking tabernacle for the receptacle of Hashem. You walk with your kippah held proudly at work, with your tzitzes proudly if it's not dangerous and it's safe to do so. When you're going to work and you're about work, people see that if you have a break from a client, there are many famous people, even my wife's family, her, her grandparent, and people like that when they would sit and not mind the store, not mind the deli, they would pull out a Mishnah, they would pull out a, a Mishnah brew, or they would pull out a, a Mishnayis or a Gemara, because you have that extra minute or two, what do you do with the time? You could be that walking sanctuary. If you're sitting at work and you have a little bit of time, don't go onto YouTube to find the newest cat video, don't go to see the newest blog or the new baking recipe that came, take out a Gemara. five minutes, you could use it for that five minutes. You could listen to something for five minutes, Torah. You could see what article came on Chabad or Aish or Yu or OU. You could be that walking sanctuary. You could be that walking tabernacle in your own life, especially if you're walking around, especially if you're moving around, especially if you're going about your days. The question also becomes... When we think about the structure of the tabernacle, the krashim and the amudim and all these other words I can't even remember offhand, you know, the mizbeach and the shulchan, how could each thing relate to ourselves as well? So when we think about each aspect, there is a way to, to correspond it to our own lives. We don't have a mizbeach of the shulch, of the, excuse me, of the tabernacle of the mishkan, but we do have a mizbeach that is our table. Perkevus tells us, if three people sit around a table, or ten people, or two people, one person sits around a table and learns Torah, it's as if you're eating from the Mizbeach of Hashem, which by definition means, by default, your table in your dining room, or your table in your eating area, and your house has the ability to be like a Mizbeach of Hashem. If someone sits around the table with people and just talks Lashon Harmon, Tzachim, or Rechilos, and doesn't talk Torah, it's as if they're eating from Zivchei Avodazara, God forbid, Pergavos teaches us, which could be terrible, terrible, terrible. So we relate the idea, the Mizbeach talked about in the Mishkan, you have your own Mizbeach possibility, Mizbeach-like existence in your house, in your apartment, in your dwelling, even at your own table. You sit around with the kids, with your wife at the table, you talk a little Torah, you do some singing, you talk about how the week was, and you talk words of goodness, not Lashon Hara, that is like a Mizbeach of Hashem. That is the Shulchan, that is like the Mizbeach. And we think about what could the menorah represent. We had Hanukkah a couple of months ago, of course, my favorite holiday of the entire year. But even every week we have the candles in our homes, the candles burning bright. What do the candles represent? Shalom Bayis. The candles represent the spirituality, the essence. When we bring in Shabbos, when we bring in Yom Tov, are the candles burning bright? Is there peace and harmony in the home between the spouses, between the kids and the parents and the parents and the kids? We look at the candles. I always say when my wife lights the candles, I feel like this metaphysical, metaphorical, not seeable blue light. I always call it blue for some reason that permeates the home. And I almost imagine that it goes zipping through all the floors and the holiness and the peacefulness of Shabbos is abounding. When the lights were lit in the Mishkan, I don't know exactly what felt or what happened or what what occurred, but we know that the lights were burning bright. They were the different branches that Kohen Gadol would get up and go onto the steps to light it to have a special 
spiritual essence, a spiritual existence in the Mishkan later on in the Mikdash, and in our own helms, which could be like a Mikdash Ma'at, and the Bate Knesset, the shuls can on the Bate Midrashiot, study also could also be like a Mikdash Ma'at. We light those candles. Hopefully we have the, the Shalom permeating the home, permeating the shuls, permeating the existence. We think about the lacham apanim that were on the shulchan, that were on the table. What kind of lacham apanim do we have on our table? Do we make sure to have nice challah, not not challah that doesn't taste good, challah that tastes good, that looks good, that appeases all the palates. If someone has that can't have sesame, or someone can't have gluten, or someone can't have this, needs high gluten or no gluten, or or salt free or sugar free. There's so many ways out there that our lacham apanim, which also is supposed to represent the man in the in the midbar, which was encapsulated with a few layers, and that's why we have something underneath the bread and something above the bread because that reminds us of the man, which would fall with dew above and beyond. That's why we have a challah cover, and underneath we're supposed to have a plate. What type of lacham apanim do you have on your table? Do you make challah? If you do, I give you major kudos. Challah, my wife and I have tried many times. She's much more successful than me, but I am not good at making challah, not my forte. But if you make challah, how wonderful it is to bring it to your table. To have it on your table, you buy a challah, you have enough that the kids could have the rolls and that you can have the rolls, and it's a nice lacham upon them. They used to be, the challah would last an entire week, and when they took it off and the kona would eat it, and the mishkan and the mikdash, it would be warm, and it would still be tasteful and very yummy. When we have the challah, do we have it that it's nice and it's soft, and sometimes you could even heat it up, or you could put it on the blech or the hapa, you could put it in the oven to heat up before Shabbos. Can we have it in a way that it's really yummy, that it's really wonderful to eat, that it could be an existence that's good for us? Think about the sanctuary in our homes. We think about different aspects of our home, how we could be involved in our own sanctuary. We think about the different aspects, besides for the shulchan, besides for the menorah, besides for the mizbeach, we think about how we could take the trumah and we could take the aron. What, what type of aron do we have in our own house? The aron representing the luchot, shnei luchot abrit, representing the Torah. Of course, not every one of us can afford to have our own Torah in our home for thousands and thousands of dollars, but they sing that the last mitzvah in the Torah is writing a Torah, the last mitzvah is writing a Torah, and it's accomplished, a lot of people say, maybe even Rashi, the commentators talk about. Nowadays, it is accomplished if you can't actually write a Torah, although Baruch Hashem, I had the zechus to do a letter a few times in my own life, which was wonderful. What we could do instead is buying farm. The question becomes, when you do buy this farm, where do you put them? Where do you keep them? Do you have your own, our own type of existence for it? Do you have a sanctuary for it to go, or you just haphazardly throw it on the shelves and put it places without giving it proper covenant and proper respect? We have different bookcases in our basement, our pseudo-library down there, besides for the free lending library, but we have where all this farm are arranged in different places. Some people have bookcases in their living room, in the dining room, and halavai, if you have that, it's wonderful. But if it's hiding away in a random corner of your house that's not so accessible, not so prevalent, not so prominent, why? The Aron was a major, major feature of the Mishkan, major, major feature of the, of the Mikdash. The second base of Mikdash actually had the evidence to see instead of the Aron, and it was lacking a holiness, lacking an element of it. In your home, the holiest books are this form. Don't have them hidden. Don't have them hiding away unless you lack space like some of us. But have them in a prominent place. Have them in a good place. Have them to be able to be out there. And you think about the Katoris and the Shemen. We think about the Shabbos foods, how it could spice up 
our lives spice up our homes and the weeks where we have to get takeout or whatnot, it feels a little different in our own house than when the weeks when I'm making the food and you feel the essence of Shabbos. The guitars would fill up. The Mishkan would fill up the Mikdash, would fill up the encampment of the Jews. In our own houses, we can spice up the smell of our homes, make it really smell like Shabbos, make it feel like Shabbos. On a week where I forget to make chillin' or whatnot, it doesn't smell the same on Shabbos. It has a pseudo-calming a pseudo effect, on me at least, where you can actually smell the chillin' making and, and stewing all day in the kitchen and the whole house smells like it. It is its own type of katoris, its own type of besamim, and of course the real besamim used after Shabbos as well. So we could take different aspects. We could think of different aspects from the mishkan, from the mikdash itself, and put it into our own homes. Put it into our own lives. Put it into our own ways. And you think about the candles we talk about. You think about the poles. Different things that would move the Mishkan and support the Mishkan. What about the the the, the aspects, the Tashmishe of the mitzvahs? You think about the tefillin and the talis. Is it, is it kept in a nice place? Actually, recently I made two slots in our hook closet so that we could hang the talis and hang the tefillin on a prominent place instead of just randomly schlepping it on some some chair or some table, putting it in a prominent place. These th elements of the of the Mishkan had holiness, like the poles and the carriers, and these things that carry our bags, carry our tefillin, carry, even carry our shetos. These are all things involved in mitzvahs, and they should be prominently placed in the right place. And we think about all the different aspects talked about in Truma. We think about all the different things in the Mishkan. We think about how each element contributed something to the Mishkan, contributed something to the home, and each element in our own home can contribute something to our lives as well. And we think about... When it comes to our homes, do we have a boundary of holiness? Do we have a boundary of Kedusha? You think about the, the courtyard. There was a chatzar. There was a boundary around the home. Do we have nice boundaries around the home? Do we have different elements? Ma'akeh, different fences around our homes to envelop the holiness, to encapsulate the holiness, to encapsulate the Kedusha. And lastly, when we think about a sanctuary, is it a place where we could come, that we could do mitzvahs, we could host chesed, we could do good things in our homes? Do we use homes as a sanctuary for for things that are involved in mitzvahs? Do we use our kitchens just to bake the newest recipe just for ourselves, self-satisfying, or do we use our kitchens to cook for others, to be involved in potluck, to be involved in meal trains, to be involved in helping out those who need help? Do we use our homes to lend out things, to give out things? Can our homes, can our lives be a mishkan in its own way? Can our tables, our shulchan, not be their own mizbech in a certain way? Can we have our shulchan be like the lacham apanim, where we have nice warm bread, we think about our candles, can it represent real shalom? We think about the different things involved in mitzvahs, different things involved in our own lives. We have the ability to have the sanctuaries of our own homes, the sanctuary of our own lives. As we walk around, we could also be a walking sanctuary too. We're supposed to be Mekan Hashem Shemayim. We're supposed to bring a Kiddush Hashem in our lives and the lives of those around us. The whole aspect of our existence, the whole essence of our existence is to work on ourselves, to work on our midos. To work on our lives to be a better person. And we could do so thinking about what sanctuaries are in our own home with the elements of our home and how we go about things, how we do for others. Can kids come home and feel like there's a sanctuary here, there's a kedushin here, there's Torah, mitzvahs, and chasen involved in our lives? As we think about truma, 
we think about the Mishkan and its elements, we could think about our own lives, our own sanctuaries, our own Mishkanot, and our own homes and our own shows, and hopefully we could elevate our lives, elevate our homes, elevate everything around us, and finally be able to bring Mashiach speedily in our days, and then may that day finally be today. Join us next time as we talk about the Parsha of the Week with some practical lessons to keep here on the TTP, and I'm your host, Tani.